Good morning. Take your Bibles, turn it to John 14 as we finish up that chapter today. We're going to look at verses 15 to 31. And if something weird, like all the lights go off or something, it's okay. Me and Micah had to clean some stuff up this week. We run some new lights, and uh, if, we, if we flip a breaker, it's just a breaker. It's okay. You know, it's, it's all good, but I think we'll be fine. Uh, before we turn, just wanted to emphasize by that in my own life, the importance of discipleship. I, I hope in your life you have a regular pattern of your life of meeting with other believers, Outside of the Sunday gathering, um, some guys, um, we meet for breakfast sometimes and, and uh, talk to you at different times about different things. And I just want you to know you affect me. You affect the message, whether you realize it or not, is, is oftentimes you, you say something that you might be thinking or even struggling with. And, and I go back and, and think about it in light of Scripture, and it, it comes all together. So you might think pastors just read uh, commentaries and have other tools that help them bring the message and that we do but our relationships with each other is how we preach the gospel to ourselves and it's critical I just wanted to point that out to you it's not optional today in the disciples life and it is not optional in ours either so let's stand to our feet in John 14 I'm just going to read verses 15 to 19, just to get us started this morning. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. Let's pray. Lord, we have gathered as your people, and not just us, Lord. Your church has gathered all over the world. In different time zones and some in secret, but they gather, Lord. We gather. We cannot not gather. We have gathered to declare your word. To receive from you the bounty of your grace. And we are in desperate need of it, God. And so, Lord, fill us. With all that you have for us from your word today. Fill us with your spirit. For you have promised it to your people. Protect us Lord. From error. As we look. At the spirit of God and his person and work over the next. Four weeks Lord. May you change us. From the inside out. In Jesus name. Amen. So just as a refresher, anytime you come to God's Word, remember the context. This is the upper room discourse. It will go all the way to John 17. He's doing a couple things for his disciples, at least. Uh, Two of which he is both comforting and he is instructing. He is comforting. In other words, 
What is it going to take from, to bring these troubled disciples to courage? Last week we said he gives them promises. And he gave them last week, remember, the promise of the Father's house. And the promise of only one pathway to get there. And that pathway is Christ alone. He's also instructing them. I mean, the cross is right around the corner. He is instructing them. What does it look like to follow Christ once Christ is gone? It's a petrifying thought to them at this point. And some days it's petrifying to us. How do we live for Christ in a broken world? There's a very simple pattern that emerges here, and I hope you're beginning to see it, in Jesus' life. Jesus follows the Father. This following is expressed through love and obedience for the Father, bringing us our redemption. And as He does that, Jesus receives from the Father power, presence, and peace. Your life and mine and the disciples' life, after Jesus leaves, will exist of following Christ. And this following Christ will be expressed through our love and obedience, leading other people to Christ who is their Redeemer. And He has promised us He will give us power, presence, and peace. You see, the more you know Christ and His life, the better you will understand yours. That's what he's doing in his disciples' life. They are weak, they are afraid, they are confused. And yet he has just told them last week, you will do a greater work. Say what? It is to these weak, afraid, and confused, he tells, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. They need something. So the main idea today, Jesus Love for this, his new community brings with it promised assurance and abiding peace. Promised assurance, abiding peace. But before we get there, we have to understand the heart, the, the foundation, the promises you see are defined by love. The promises are defined by love. So let's first look at the disciples' love for Christ. And what we're getting at, what Christ is getting at, is this love that they have for him should be, must be, inevitably will be expressed in obedience. Verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see, Jesus is leaving, but what he is assuring them in this passage is that their relationship is not finished. Their relationship with him will continue to grow and develop. How will that do that? You see, long-distance relationships are tough. They're tough. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, am I in a long-distance relationship with the Lord? If it is, there's a problem. It's a problem. You see, Jesus says it's going to continue. And it's going to continue by the means of the person of the Spirit. It's going to be the gift of God's grace. You see, the Holy Spirit's not into long-distance relationships. with us. He's in us. You see, our love must be expressed if it is to be biblical love. This love is a personal thing. The disciples' love is expressed through personal obedience. These are His commandments. Do you see that? 
you love me, keep my commandments. They're his. This is not some dry legal code. This is not some checklist Christianity like we used to have on our envelopes. Matthew 28, 20 says this. This is not in your notes. It's text, but you know it. We are to teach disciples to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of age. So this is personal. This obedience is not a dry, lifeless obedience. It is a, perf- a personal obedience, and it is also a loving obedience. So much so that Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 13, Though you give away every sense you have, and though you offer your body to be burned at the stake, if it is not driven, if it is not centered in your love for me, you have gained nothing. I love J.C. Ryle. If the guy you listen to every week says he loves a guy, I'd write that down. If you ever want to know how I grew to become a pastor it's because every time the preacher quoted somebody I wrote their name down and read them he says this what summarizing what Jesus is saying if if you really love me prove your love not by weeping and lamenting at my departure but by striving to do my will when I am gone doing and not crying is the best proof of love that's good Doing and not crying is the best proof of love. The disciples' love is to be expressed by personal, loving obedience, but it rests on something greater than their love. It rests on the Lord's love for the disciples. Look with me at verse 22. Now, we're not following chronologically this morning because that's not the way the text is working. Look at verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord... How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So there, so Judas is not a scary. Most people in the other Gospels, we hear a guy called Thaddeus. Most people think that's who that was. He's asking a question, and it's sort of weird because it seems like Jesus didn't really answer the question. And that's, if you know, sometimes when somebody asked, he would either ask them another question, or he would correct the question. He goes on to say, if you love me, you will keep my word. That was his answer, so to speak, but he's getting to something. If you want to know who the Father reveals himself to, It is the people who love me and keep my word. There is an inseparable connection in your life and mine between the affection for Christ and the affection for His word. If you have no affection for His word, you don't really have affection for Christ. You just have the affection for the thought of Christ. To love Christ is to love His word. It's inseparable. But understand this morning what... He wants the disciples to get. The Lord's love is expressed. The Lord's love is expressed by His promise presence among His people. So much so, you see, 
And I'm glad because it used to be um, we would put children that were abandoned in orphanages and now we put them in our homes. And I, I praise the Lord for that. Because that's how they feel. We're going to see it in a minute. The reason he addresses it this way and gives them these promises is that they feel like Jesus is about to orphan them. You see, orphans feel vulnerable. They feel exposed. They, they feel like the people that's supposed to protect me didn't do it. They dropped the ball. And that's what they feel like. Jesus is just saying, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm dying. I mean, only what, even that, what does that even mean? He's teaching them something. Verse 23. My father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. You see, that's not just simply a New Testament promise. That's the promise of Scripture. That's the God that does not change. You see in your text, 2 Corinthians 6, 16. You can turn there if you want to, right in your margins, Leviticus 26, 12. If you want to see this in Scripture, if you've got a parallel passage of Bible, you can look at that. It will give you a whole litany of Scripture in the Old Testament that says the same thing that Paul's quoting. So let me just quote one of them. Leviticus 26, 12. I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. This is the promise of God. He has not changed. God's love is expressed by His presence among His people. You see, here's the issue. They need something, and so do we, to walk this pathway, this Christ-along pathway. You see, our destination is promised. Yet the pathway is what? It's hard the way is narrow that leads to life. We need something. And so he gives his disciples a promised assurance. So now look at with me at verse 18. I want you to see two promises. Two assurances that he had. He says. These are personal. He says, I will come to you. And then he says, I will send another. First he says, I will come to you. Verse 18, here's our, why is it important that he says, I will come to you? Why is it important that he says, I will send another? Because of verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. This is the promise they needed. This is the promise that he gave. Verse 19, yet a little while. And the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day, you will know that I am in the Father. And you in me, and I in you. This is the assurance of the resurrection. This is not speaking of the second coming. He's given them a promise. Because they are petrified at the thought of Jesus leaving them. And he says, I am going to die, but you will see me again. But not the world. When I am lifted up on the cross, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Why is that important? They will see Him again in such a way that they will never again doubt that Jesus is the Son of God. And neither did they. I was eating a breakfast with some guys this week. 
We're telling one of, a, one of my friends was telling me that he was reading John MacArthur's book, 12 Ordinary Men. If you hadn't ever read that, he also wrote a book called 12 Ordinary Women. I would recommend both of them. You see, there's a church father called Clement of Rome. And we can learn from our church fathers what happened to our, the disciples. And he tells us what happened to Peter. See, Peter, like Paul, was caught up in Nero's persecution. And they were going to crucify him. But before they crucified him, they crucified his wife and made him watch. And then they crucified him. And he said, "Before I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. Crucify me upside down. So now listen to me today. You might be watching online and you might say, yeah, I know. But those dudes flew that plane into that building because they believed it was true. And that's true. Some people give their life for what they believe to be true. But these guys sent their families to be crucified in themselves for what they knew would have been false. Why did they give their life for Christ? Because He he appeared to them after His death alive. He fulfilled His promise just as He said. And it changed their lives. They gave it all, including their families, to follow Christ because it's true. This is the assurance that he gives. And so he gives them another one. He's not done. He said, you're going to see me again. But, even more importantly, I'm going to send another. I'm going to send another. There is, and I'm speaking to Baptists today. Southern Baptists specifically, because that's what we identify as. There is a wholesale ignorance of the Holy Spirit in our denomination. J.I. Packer, another book I'd recommend, Knowing God, says this, The average Christian is in a complete fog as to what the work of the Holy Spirit does. In our zeal to defend the sufficiency of Scripture, We have forgotten the significant role of the Holy Spirit of which there would be no no creation nor Christianity without Him. He is everything. We do not study Scripture. We do not study the Holy Spirit. We're not going to spend the next week looking at the Holy Spirit so that we can pass some theological midterm or some end of the school testing. He is promised here. So that they might know, you will never be orphaned. Ever. If you're in Christ, you are His. And He never loses His own. As a matter of fact, His his interest to make sure you grow and you flourish on your way to the Father. The promise of the Holy Spirit is to be for the disciples their lifeline. Their anchor that would hold them fast in the midst of things that oftentimes they did not understand. We can easily simply presume on the Holy Spirit, taking His power and His presence for granted. God calls us to repentance. That's what I am praying for over the next four weeks for myself and for us, that we would never again ignore Him, or we can do nothing without Him. It gives us assurance. Look at verse 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, 
whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Just four things I want you to see today. First, don't miss verse 16 and 17, that the triune God is present here. Do you see him? The triune God is present. You see, the Son praying, the Father giving, the Spirit comforting. Same way in creation. The Father willing, the Son speaking, the Holy Spirit administering. They work together in perfect unity, and they work together in perfect unity in our life in this church. Number two, and the most important thing I want you to see over the next four weeks, you need to keep this in, in, in your mind. Anytime you hear somebody preaching on the Holy Spirit, this is the filter that you, that you must hear it through. The Holy Spirit will come and fill the role that Jesus fulfilled with the disciples. The Holy Spirit will come to them and do for them what Jesus did in their life. And that's what He's promising in our life. He will comfort. He will strengthen. He will teach. He will do everything that Jesus has been doing. The prospect here is they will do the greater things. Gospel things. Great commission things. Mike, last night as I was, I was, I was preaching, I remembered me and Mike in Honduras preaching the gospel to a people who once didn't even know who Jesus was. Now we stood underneath a pole shed where people would walk miles up and down hills. Now people gather every Sunday right now and worship the Lord. You see, that's what He promised would happen. That's the greater things as we were preaching and singing over there. We were sitting there going, we get to be a part of it. The greater things is not having a, a perfect, comfortable life now. It is doing whatever we must that they hear the gospel today. And paying the price, whatever it takes. That's where the Spirit of God meets us. Everything that obedience by faith cost us is grace. Everything it cost us, and many of us have scars for what it cost us. It's grace. It's grace. It's God's grace. He gives it to us. The ability to be part of the greater things, but He calls, He gives us the power through a person. You see, it is far easier to stay home and be comfortable than go out as the prophet did to the valley of dry bones, preaching the gospel, trusting in the Spirit to bring life. But it's in that moment of obedience that the Spirit of God brings His power and His presence. Everything that Jesus did for the disciples, the Holy Spirit is going to bring to His people. And here's what He does, number three. His, the Holy Spirit has a very personal ministry. It is both personal and it is inward. That's where it begins. Get verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. Listen, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is personal. The spirit is a person. He is indwelled truth in us. He has promised presence with us. 
But now look at verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He would go on and tell them in, he would tell them in Matthew, you don't even have to worry about what's going to happen when you get drug in front of some king or some ruler. You just need to trust that the Spirit will bring back what you need to say and then just say it. This is an inward ministry. He is helping. He is reminding. He is teaching. He is strengthening. He is coming alongside of us in His church. He promises He will come alongside of us as we walk this pathway to the Father's house. Doing His greater work. But let us be warned, number four, that the Holy Spirit will not be manipulated. Not for our selfish sins. Acts 8. You can turn there or not. You, you remember the story. Acts 8, verses about 9 to 24. There's this guy. We would all, I've always heard him called Simon the Magician. He would wow the people. And he made a profession of faith and was even baptized. And he sees the apostles giving people the Holy Spirit who had not yet received it. And he says, can, can I pay you for that gift? Right? That, that'd do wonders for my business. Right? Peter said, verse 20, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Later on in Acts 13, It said the Holy Spirit spoke. He speaks. He's a person. And he said, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have. You see, the Spirit is doing exactly what Jesus did. Exactly what the Father tells him to. So let us be careful in this modern age that we live in. The Holy Spirit is not an energy that we gain and use for our personal benefit. He is a person who gains and uses us for the glory of the Father. And that's a big difference from what we hear talking about that. When you hear people talking about energy and getting energy from the atmosphere and the ground and all these things, we are not talking about the same God. The Holy Spirit is not some energy we use for our benefit. He is God, and He uses us to the praise of His glorious grace. And with that, this promised assurance comes peace. Peace. This is important. Remember, they're troubled. From verse 1 to verse 27. Look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So... So like a therefore here. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let your hearts be afraid. Peace here. This word means freedom from worry. It means that the, the state you are in has come to you from God bringing your welfare. You trusted Him for your welfare. So you're not worried. It's you see, it's inward. It's personal peace. It's His peace. Do you see it? My peace I give to you. 
That's why the world can't give it. It doesn't belong to them. They have no lasting peace to give. It is His peace. And He gives it individually and corporately. Let me show you this. This is an important passage. Because we as Westerners are often so me-centered. It is peace individually. It is. It's also peace corporately. (laughs) In other words, we bring our peace or lack thereof with us when we worship. Colossians 3.15. Notice both the individual and the corporate realities of this. He's speaking to the church, Colossae. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in what? One body. It is peace. It is His peace. It is giving both individually to believers. It is given corporately to His church. And it is not worldly peace. Worldly peace looks like uniformity. It looks like the art of compromise. Where we got to bring some kind of pseudo-peace. And you've got to compromise a little bit on your truth. And i got to compromise a little bit on my truth. So let's just keep, let the, let the fighting stop. This is like bribing your child to get them to obey. It won't last. <laughs> it won't last. There's no lasting peace if there is not peace and truth. And the only person who's the truth is Jesus. He is the truth. And so there is no peace without Him because it's His peace. And He gives it to all of those who put their faith in Christ. No exceptions. He gives us His Spirit and He gives us His peace. I love Psalms 81. Psalms 81.10. The psalmist says it's just a picture. Uh, picturing a, a little bird in, in a nest is where, it's where I am with my mind here. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt Open your mouths wide, and I will fill it. Talked a little bit in our small group about what joy is. Biblical joy. You see these connected between peace and joy. This understanding that our God is with us. He will never leave us. And He is bringing us something that we cannot bring ourselves. And what He brings us, nobody can take away. If God fills not your mouth, you will always be hungry. If God fills not your mouth, you will always be hungry. John 16 verse 33 says this. I have said these things to you. By the way, this is a promise too. I have said these things to you. That in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, that's last week. Remember, an optimistic realist? The two things are real. We have peace. We got trouble. <laughs> Take heart. Our oh Lord, look at, back now at John 14, verse 30. He is dispelling fear by conquering Satan. Let me ask you a question. If the devil has no claim on Jesus, and you're in Jesus, does he have claim on you? No. No. So quit buying into the lie that he does. He's not. He has no claim on us. We're in Christ. The Spirit of God is not only with us, he's in us. And this produces lasting peace. Peace is the property. It is the inheritance of every believer. 
It is ours. It is blood-bought. It matters not how much you make or how little you make. It matters not whether you live in the, in the country club or the trailer park. It matters not what ethnicity you are. Because in Ephesians 2, he says, He came to bring peace to those who were far off and those who were near. Because every person, whether far or near, needed it. And in Christ, he gives it to us. It is part of our inheritance that we get now. To his own to his own and only to his own. The Father dispenses lasting peace. Just thinking this morning as, as some of us were praying before the sermon at Philippians, this wonderful letter that was written when Paul was in prison, yet it was so joyful. And from the prison cell, Philippians 4, 7, Paul writes, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Listen, when a dude tells you that from prison, it's impactful. No, so what today? Everything I've really just said is introduction to the next four weeks. For the next four weeks, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit. So how will the coming of the Holy Spirit bring assurance and peace? Well, that's what we're going to look at. So just to give you a taste of sort of where the sermons are going, for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at both the inward and the outward work of the Holy Spirit, that He is going to oppose inwardly the works of our flesh. We're going to look at the fact that He is going to produce in us things that produce works of righteousness outwardly. And he's going to draw us into a living community, not only with Christ, but also with people. That has both an inward response and an outward. Why is all this important that we spend the next four weeks? Well, I think three reasons. We can see many of them right here in the text. Verse 29 to 31. Jesus says, And now I have told you, before it takes place, so that... When it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. There's three so that's here today. We want to look at the Holy Spirit so that our faith may grow to trust the Lord to do the greater works. If we are going to reach our world for Christ, then it begins with love and it always leads to mission. I love missionaries in Hades always said it this way. Love is a verb. Love is a verb in the Bible. Something that you do. Love is always expressed. And our desire is that the Spirit of God would through us do the greater work. Secondly, so that we might grow to become like the Jesus we follow. That is to defeat the works of the devil in me as I kindle the fruit of the Spirit in me. both individually and corporately. And finally, we, just as it was for Christ, so it is for us, 
so that the world may know that I love the Father. That's a pretty good purpose stated in your life. In your small groups, you're going to talk about legacy. What will be your legacy? Oh, that it might be. Oh, how he loved the Father. You see, Jesus is not just concerned that his disciples not be troubled. It's the reason when we named the whole series in John, Behold and Believe. He doesn't want you not just to not be anxious. He wants you to behold the Father as He beheld Him. To believe and to trust Him the way He trusts Him. And to live in light of those blood-bought realities until we are safely home. And so I ask you, this week, will we confess and repent of our ignorance of the Holy Spirit? So that we are ready to come and dive in. Will we embrace the vision to accomplish the greater work? Let's pray together. And so, Lord, your word is too great for us. And yet it is your gift to us. Your very words speaking to the people that you love. And yet we feel like the disciples. Unable to get it all in. Unable to express it ourselves. But Lord. What you have allowed us to receive today. Will you cultivate it? Will you bring fruit? You promised you would. Nothing, your word would not come back void. Not in me, not in those who are here today, not for those who watch online. So, Lord, do your work in your people. Forgive us, Lord, that we think we can plan and organize the Spirit of God. Oh, that he might fall. That we would be changed. Never to be the same That those hard things that are making us angry and bitter would make us more grateful. We need you. We need you. We need you to hold on to us. Sometimes it's hard to hold on. But oh God, renew us. That we would find our hope and our trust in the only one who gave his son because of his great love. That was you, our Father. And so now we come to enjoy your presence, to celebrate it, to appreciate it together. To receive from you. To remember that you gave the most precious thing you have, your own son. And he did so willingly. So we come to the tables. Asking you to forgive us, Lord. Before we come to the tables. 
We ask that we would confess any sin that's keeping us out of relationship with you. And that you would bring us afresh and anew to know and to realize and to feel that we are loved sovereignly, personally, intimately, eternally. And that we would enjoy that now, maybe as never before. And so, Lord, now, as we come and as we respond, as we come to the tables and as we give and as we go, we do it all so that we might know you and so that the world might know you. Be worshipped. Be enjoyed. And, Lord, give us what we desperately need. In Jesus' name, amen.